Hello and welcome to our eighth in the World Sustainability Collective's Purpose Planet podcast series. Our website is at https colon double forward slash world sustainability collective lowercase all one word dot com. And you can also find us on Twitter. That's at WSC all capitals lower dash worldwide. That's one word lowercase. On Facebook at World Sustainability Collective, all one word, lowercase, and on LinkedIn at forward slash company, forward slash world, dash sustainability, dash collective, lowercase, forward slash. Today, we are talking with Ivana Jane. Ivana is involved in a number of activities all around the central theme of sustainability and improving the environment. Her company is called Terran Industries, and she is based in Melbourne, Australia. Her website is https colon double forward slash Terran Industries, that's T-E-R-R-A-N Industries, lowercase all one word, dot com dot A-U forward slash. You'll also find Ivana on LinkedIn at LinkedIn forward slash I-N lowercase forward slash Ivana Jane, that's E-V-A-N-N-A-H-J-A-Y-N-E. Welcome, Ivana. Thank you for inviting me. Great to be here. Ivana, uh, we have a lot to talk about today, and I'm looking forward to our conversation very much. So thank you for agreeing to join us. Perhaps we can start by asking... Where did your desire to be proactive in sustainability issues come from? That's a great question. Thanks, Bill. Well, I have always been sustainability minded. I grew up that way. For me, it's second nature. Um, And when I entered the workforce in my early 20s, I realized that it wasn't for a lot of other people or businesses primarily for that matter. Um, And the industry I was working in at the time they were they promoted sustainability, but they were anything far, far, far from the point to really highlight the matter. So I decided that the best way to actually do something about it was to do it myself. So essentially, I guess you could say I got fed up with the lack of action. I see. And did you find at the time uh, you say that uh, the companies had a view of sustainability? but you were uncomfortable or unhappy with uh, with the way they were doing it. Was it because they were just, as today we'd call it greenwashing perhaps, but uh, was it really they were just sort of using that word to try and promote themselves? Or was it genuinely they didn't know what to do? I think it was a mixture of both. Um, I, I do consider them expert greenwashers. They were in the secondhand industry, so it was an on-selling item environment um, is one of the global charities in the op shops. Uh, 70% of donations went to landfill and they just couldn't be bothered to recycle them. Like The only thing they actually recycled was cardboard and paper. And even then the contract they used, their warehouses were over full. So that just went to landfill as well. It was really lack of responsibility when it came to disposal method and the goods that came into their care. Okay, so maybe we'll come back to that later in one of the uh, the, the questions we'll we'll go on uh, go on to later. Um, your company offers 
uh, your clients, your business, the business clients, a number of services. Perhaps you can explain to our listeners what those services are and, and how do you expect your clients to benefit from those services, Ivana? Yes, certainly. So our main offering is what we call sustainability as a service. We act as an outsourced sustainability team providing ongoing support to businesses to outsource their green transition in a manner of speaking. So we work with them on a flat monthly retainer model so we can then work with them over a timeline that'll actually be beneficial for the business when it comes to implementing green transitions. Because at the end of the day, green transitions don't happen overnight. A lot of businesses have that confusing aspect of, oh, it's too hard, it's going to take too long. So by providing the sustainability as a service offering, which we do, it helps them transition over a, a time frame which will actually benefit the business. And we, we do do other small things as well. From like if, if a business isn't ready for a retainer package model, we do have a project package available, which does allow us to do smaller things for a business, whether it's like auditing or like overdoing an, a single location office or something along those lines. But the the long term of what we do is really helping businesses with everything from climate adaptation to sustainability frameworks, circular economy, energy efficiency, resource recovery. You can consider us a one-stop shop for not only consulting but implementation within their businesses framework, really. So in that transition, Ivana, um, presumably your clients are having to go through quite a significant change process. Is that one of your services as well? Do you help them sort of with that change process? Do you mentor them or do you actually manage the change process? Yeah, absolutely. We, we do manage the change process with them. Like we work with all relevant departments with their, within their organisation, most commonly executives, procurement teams and project managers, and sometimes internal sustainability personnel as well. What we've found is that businesses that do have internal sustainability teams most of the times they're doing reporting and data and don't get time to do the implementation themselves. So we come in and as, act as an extension of their team and provide that project management service to, service to execute green initiatives throughout their organisation. Do you find that, um, that with your clients that they prefer to um, make the transition in small little bites, you know, so sort of focus, say, on... Uh, energy reduction, uh, taking away waste in their process? Or do they actually prefer a framework where they are able to sit down and define where they're going before they start the journey? So is, is there a preference into, to how they do it? Because obviously there's quite two quite different processes, I think. There is. And when we start working with a client, we start with the frameworks. So we gather the data where they're at in their sustainability journey, because every business is different. Like they might have no sustainability initiatives in place, or they might already be doing well and looking for improvement. So it depends on where they're at in what we start with. But we always collect the data from where they're at and use that data to implement solutions. You usually start with a few small, quick, easy wins. And then we'll go on to larger projects one or two at a time. So we'll, like if in heavy industry, for example, they produce a lot of emissions simply by the type of operations they have. So our first project would be to mitigate and reduce those emissions. 
So we prioritize projects and what is the biggest priority for the organization. And you mentioned the heavy industries. Sort of, what what does your portfolio of clients look like, Ivana? Um, what sort of uh, size and what and what sectors do your clients tend to come from? We are industry agnostic. We're happy to help with anyone. Though at the moment, most of our clients are from the mid to large tier sector in the heavier industries. So lots of freight, trade, manufacturing, supply chain, transport sort of area. We're just opening conversations with the mining sector at the moment, as well as the healthcare sector. Lots of the important heavier industries, you should say. And do you tend to interact? I mean, obviously, COVID had an impact on us all. Um, and uh, and in Australia, you had your way of dealing with that. But have you now got back to a situation where you deal face-to-face -face with clients or do you still do quite a bit of uh, interaction on Zoom or Teams or whatever? Well, we, our team is global and so are our clients and our services. So we can, a lot of it can be done remotely, though we find it easier, especially when we start with a client to go to their site and do like a physical waste audit or a physical energy audit and seeing that on the ground to start with allows us to not only collect better data, but to actually talk with the team as well face-to-face -face and see what their I suppose, sustainability problems are on the ground. And after that, it's it, we can go back to the site. Um, sometimes we do, but it can be done 100% virtually after that. Okay, so again, just so that we, as uh, the listeners, have a, a, a picture of um, of what your organization is like, Ivana. So you mentioned that it's global. Um, so how many people are involved and um, are your clients Australian only or are they global too, as well as the, the people that work for you? Yeah, I mean, our team at the moment, we're probably about 50% still in Australia because that's where we started. We've got offices in the USA and we're just opening an office in London as well. Our, our clients, primarily Australian or Australian arms of European businesses. What we've found in general sense, the term European businesses are generally more forward thinking when it comes to sustainability anyway. So they tend to be easier clients to win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's good news, isn't it? Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's an impressive uh, setup that you've got there. I mean, uh, the US, Europe and Australia, obviously, where you started. So uh, a very, very interesting uh, organization and approach to helping clients to improve and or completely transform uh, to being a sustainable business. Um, I also noticed that you... Uh, are involved in Green Economy TV channel. Now that intrigues me. Um, and I don't know what that is or what that does, but A, what is the Green Economy TV channel? Um, and where is it? And, and how are you involved with it? So the studio behind it is called Import Export TV. So we have partnered with them to produce our TV show, which is called The Green Economy. So Import Export TV itself is a media channel that works or that promotes and news and shows to the international trade logistics supply chain and transport sectors so we have partnered that with them to bring sustainability to that audience 
So the show itself promotes and showcases sustainable solutions and how those solutions can be implied to, applied to the import-export sector and how it benefits their business, while at the same time highlighting the sustainable innovations that exist in the world and perhaps even help those sustainability companies expand their operations through international trade. And if I want you to watch the TV channel, I mean, how do I access it? Where do I go to find it? So you can see the channel at importexporttv.com. So everything is on there. Um, you'll find us under the industry sectors under Australia. So it's streamed, yeah? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. And how often do you appear uh, in your program? Or not you appear, but how often does your program appear on the channel? Well, I'm the host, so I'm on every episode. <laughs> the show itself, we've just started season two. So it's, uh, at the moment, we're planning the rest of it. The aim is to release one episode every month. So at yep. the moment, due to the um, bit, bit of COVID, we've been a little bit delayed in getting them out every month. But moving forward for the rest of the year, we should be pretty much spot on. Very good. Excellent. And does this, this um, every time you, you do have uh, an item that you host, um, what, what's the format of that? program uh, do you talk to particular people or do you show videos what what do you do so the tv show itself each episode is themed around a particular area the last one last episode for example was on circular economy so i interviewed three circular economy guests who each run their own business either actually implementing circular economy itself or have a product or solution which is circular based so it's highlighting the different areas of the particular theme of the episode and the businesses within. So, so far we've done circular economy, we've done energy, uh, we've done one on clothing and textiles, we've done one on food, um, which will be linked to one on agriculture later in the series. Excellent. Well, let's hope that our audience uh, picks that up and goes and have, has a look at your uh, you're very do you do recordings so that they can go and look at ones that have been there previously or do they just have to pick them up as they come on the uh, on the program yeah so if you log on to the website importexporttv.com you'll be able to see all our previous episodes there so we'll release one so it's it's not live when we film it um but you'll be able to see it when it's released on the platform a couple of weeks after the filming date and you're able to go back and look at other recordings as well Absolutely, yes. That's great. Very good initiative. Very good initiative. So good luck with that, uh, Ivana. Thank uh, you. So just going back to what we were talking about a bit earlier, um, sustainability transitions in business, um, they're often seen by business as very complicated tasks. And to a large extent, people have got this sort of inhibition. Uh, it's sort of like a an energy activation hump that they've got to get over. Um, so what is the best way, in your opinion, that a company can successfully transition into this green economy that we all are aspiring to move into? And so, we're, yeah, you're absolutely right in the green transitions can be considered extremely complicated. You've got net zero targets, you've got waste management. Uh, there's almost too many things for the average person to consider. 
What we've found is the easiest way to do a transition is to start with a few small, quick, easy wins first. And the, the most important step is always to start. What we've found, and which is why we work with the clients the way we do, starting with a few small, quick, easy wins allows businesses to see that sustainability doesn't have to be overcomplicated. It won't disrupt your entire operations. So we like to start with like quick, easy wins we usually implement include the, the, the shiny gadgets, which everyone's likes. So examples, digital business cards, rewritable notepads, like those get everyone's attention. Um, then you've got your basics, like your, your bamboo toiletries and tissue paper uh, or tissues, that sort of thing. So small, little, easy, eco-friendly product replacements, which don't require a lot of energy. And people can see them and see that they're not so bad. Then the, after that, it's one project at a time. So the same with any business. You don't want to do too many projects at once. It just gets out of control. So starting with one project and then doing that well over a time frame, like it doesn't have to be done in two weeks. If it's a trans, a particular transition that will take a couple of months, then you do it over a couple of months. You um, get everyone in, on board, get everyone involved, get everyone trained into the new solution. And once that's been implemented and people again realise, oh, that wasn't so bad, then you can move on to the next project. There's a lot of people say that there's just, too much overwhelming things to do when it comes to transition. So we like to say sustainability is like climbing a ladder, one step at a time. So you're not going to reach the top tomorrow, but once you climb that ladder and get to the next step, you'll slowly get there. That's an excellent approach. There's a, a phrase that I, I've come across, and I'm sure you have too, called just transitions. And we'll, we'll come back to that and, and explain what is meant by that. Um, but just transitions, I suppose, are talking about those industries that um, are affected by the change to uh, a more sustainable approach. And uh, in energy uh, in particular, of course, what we're seeing is a move away from fossil fuels to, towards renewables. And that has quite an impact on a whole host of people and businesses. Um, an example that um, here in the UK, where I live, uh, is that uh, we are trying to move away from domestic gas supply, for example. Now, there's a lot of people who supply the gas. There's a lot of people who supply uh, the gas boilers. And there's a lot of people who maintain the gas boilers. Um, have you come across um, sort of those sorts of issues where just transition, which is all about when you do make a transition, think about the impact of uh, that transition on people, the social impact of losing their jobs, being able to be retrained uh, and getting new, uh, new skills and jobs as a result. Do you get involved in that sort of issue in your business? I think you've hit the nail on the head when you said retraining. Um, there's like the the green economy is expected to be a, in the next 10 years alone a multi-trillion dollar industry. There will be new jobs being created. There'll be new industries being created within the green economy. And you, you look at history. I mean, we, we no longer ride a horse and cart. We, go, we have automobiles now. The, the people who made those things back then have easily transitioned into 
a new job now just from the evolution of technology. A lot of what we do is involved in retraining of new technologies. Yes, fossil fuel industries will be reduced, but there will be thousands, if not millions of jobs in renewable energy alone, let alone circular economy. We've always said that all skills are transferable. I mean, the, you look at the, the mining sector, for example, yes, fossil fuel mines will be phased out over the next few years. Uh, at the moment, while we're still implementing a renewable energy transition, there will still have to be mining the rare earth minerals to make that transition until we pull enough out of the ground to implement a full circular economy of those rare earth minerals. And that, that is entirely possible. The technology is there today to implement that circular economy. So a lot of it is being you know, training, you know, training of like-minded skill sets into skill sets of new industries that still support that kind of employee. Thank you, Diana. That's really, really insightful and interesting. Thank you. Um, you're talking there about the circular economy and um, let's perhaps dwell on that a little bit. Um, so for our view, uh, listeners' point of view, um, what do you see as a circular economy business? And how do the supply chains related to those types of businesses, how do they link in and relate to sustainability as a whole? Yeah, so supply chains are the backbone of every industry. Um, they're always going to be, have some involvement in it. Uh, and what we've found is that a lot of materials that we use today are in fact finite resources. Like Plastics, for example, they're made from fossil fuels. Eventually, there's not going to be enough to dig up and utilise as new materials. And that's where circular economy comes in. The concept that every material in existence will stay in existence and not go to landfill. It'll be made into a new product or a new feature. And at the end of the product life, it will be broken down again into its raw material form and then made into something else again. So there's no material that in existence that should end up in a hole in the ground. And that, that's what forms the basis of circular economy. There's many business models that can go with it depending on the type of product involved. It's easy for, say, a phone case, for example. Uh, that can be at the end of life, that can go back to the product developer or manufacturer, be broken down into raw materials and then being reused. Or if it's still in perfect condition, it can be unsold and then reused again without having yet to be broken down. The other side of it is the organics. Um, Single-use consumables and like when it comes to packaging for healthcare products, or for example, healthcare products can't easily be reused. But when it's made from an organic material, a lot of times it is because it needs to interact with all, all sorts of value, valuable or delicate features, that organics can then actually be composted and then turned into fertilizer for agriculture and then come back as a new regenerative fuel source, essentially. And how do supply chains sort of fit into that picture, Ivana? There are a lot, any material is part of a supply chain. So no matter what the product is, Circular economy and supply chain are probably the two closest linked networks, for lack of a better word, within the circular economy. They, when it comes to the supply chains, like everything 
every material asset is part of a supply chain for a product. So circular economy itself relies a lot on the supply chain network to exist. What I find interesting about the concepts around circular economies, um, and, and it's a very pragmatic, logical thing to do, and why we didn't think of it before, and some people have, um, but I think that one of the key things for the circular economy is when you're designing a new product or redesigning an existing product, then by thinking about how that design can encapsulate the concept of a circular economy is essential. Do you agree with that or do you have a different view? No, 100%. As any new product that's made today should take end of life into consideration during the product design and development stage. If we don't, we're going to end up with some of the products we have today, which like you've got two material, different material assets which have been melded together to create a product today. And any the, the, if you break it down to the level of an atom, there's going to be so many intertwined different materials which are really hard to separate when it comes to end of life. And today they are the most hard to recycle and recover materials or just because of the way the product has been developed in the first place. So moving forward when we're coming to implement a successful circular economy, it needs to be designed back in the design stage. Yeah, I think that it's interesting from my point of view, a lot of people talk about the plastics problem, um, but actually it's not. There's nothing wrong with plastics. It's the fact that we as people or human beings throw the, throw the stuff away. That's why we've got a problem. But anyway, I, I won't get on my soapbox about that, Ivana, this morning. How many businesses have you uh, have set net zero targets as their main strategy? And this is, is, is this an effective strategy? Um, because it's, it's one of those terms that we hear time and time again. But is it the effective strategy for ensuring a full environmental sustainable business? I mean, is it the be all and end all? Or is, are there other aspects that you feel are important? Well, there's definitely aspects that are, not, I wouldn't say more important, but just as just as important. The trouble with when what's happening recently is the terms net zero and ESG have become huge buzzwords in the media because that's words that the media have taken hold of and promoted. And as such, that's what businesses associate with sustainability. There's lots of businesses that have set net zero targets. They don't necessarily know what net zero means, but they know it means something to do with sustainability. They've set it and basically gone, okay, yes, this is what everyone else is doing, so therefore we need to do it. But it really comes back to the fact that the media has taken hold of that terminology and gone, everyone needs to do this. They've chosen what is essentially one piece of the puzzle to focus on rather than focusing on the whole sphere of what actually needs to be implemented. Like you won't reach net zero if you don't implement circular economy, for example. So while net zero is a part of the puzzle, it's definitely not the whole picture. Yes, it's interesting that that um, that that you highlight that, Ivana, because um, certainly in the World Sustainability Collective, we've looked at the UN's 17 Sustainability Development Goals. And when you look at those, of course, they cover 
not just environmental issues, which is really net zero is talking about climate change because of emissions uh, and, and the effect that those have, um, but there are social impacts as well uh, included in the SDGs. And I, I think I personally feel that what we should be looking at is solving social and environmental problems um, economically, rather than in the past we decided that we had something that we wanted to do or sell and we wanted to make a profit. And then we dealt with the social and environment, environmental problems that those businesses and activities may have created, which to me is just the wrong way around. So I think that, yes, if we, if we start to include um, the SDGs, for example, then we start to look at other issues that affect uh, the population of the world. Uh, and those are things like health, well-being, poverty, hunger, uh, all of those aspects start to come into play under the term sustainability. Yeah, no, we completely agree. Like that everything is so interconnected. You can't just do one and ignore the other. And the SDGs are the perfect example. They were created to cover everything and they all interact with each other. If the world follows, like businesses and consumers worldwide follow the sustainable development goals, like it would be a much better place to live, not only socially, but also economically and sustainability. It just shows that everything does tie together. You mentioned earlier the, the, the media and uh, the power of the media in terms of uh, taking certain phrases like net zero or ESG and promoting them. Um, but it's not just the promotion of certain phrases or words, but it's also in this day and age, misinformation, <clears throat> excuse me, around sustainability, perhaps in general. Can you sort of just highlight some of that misinformation or myths and how you can actually sort of inform us of the, the correct interpretation and bust those myths? Certainly. Well, the, the, I'll start with the two most common myths. So the one we, we face is a lot that we've found a lot of people will say to us is that service-based businesses don't create emissions or don't have an environmental footprint. Uh, we've I've talked to so many professional services, it's like, well, we offset our emissions or sometimes not even that, but a lot of it comes down to, okay, do you drive an electric vehicle or a petrol car? And even before that, the materials required to create that car that they're driving to visit their clients. And that goes back to materials, resources, assets, and circular economy. How do we know that car was, wasn't made from, like whether the car manufacturer passed a modern slavery audit, for example. So it's always going back and back in the supply chain, even from the basic aspects that any service-based business could use. Like the energy within their building, even if they work from home, is still, do they use eco-friendly products? Do they go through a lot of notepads or do they use rewritable notepads? Do they uh, use, like, how much energy do they use through the technology that they've used with their clients? Even just your basic laptop uses a lot of energy. So every business, including service-based businesses, do create emissions and have an environmental footprint. It's a huge misconception we've come across quite frequently. Another one, which is probably even more common, 
when it comes to sustainability transitions in general, a lot of people say it's like, oh, no, it's too expensive. The truth about sustainable economics is sustainability doesn't have to be more expensive. In fact, it's not. Once, proper, once a full green economy scheme is implemented within an organisation, it is actually cheaper to run than modern technologies. The renewable energy, for example, is a lot cheaper. Materials sourcing and supply chain, it comes into supply chain resilience as well. That a lot of the materials are from more renewable sources, therefore the cost will not only be lower but stay down. You look at um, plastics, for example, they are made from fossil fuels and fossil fuels are a finite resource. The further we get into using virgin material plastics, the higher that price is going to go up. That, that's just basic economics. The, the reality is sustainability is actually cheaper. Yes, it might be a slight investment today, but that investment today will save you millions over the long run of your business. I totally agree. It's quite interesting that, I mean, one of the, uh, the if you like, the low-hanging fruits you talked about earlier uh, is looking at what uh, is waste in a particular business activity. And if you think about it, if you take out the waste, you're improving efficiency and therefore you must reduce cost. So even when you start off with a low-hanging fruit, effectively, sustainability is reducing your costs. So I think Absolutely. That, and I, even if you produce a lot of waste within your business, you can turn that into an asset and sell that waste as a raw material to another business. And then you have another income stream within your organization. And that's basic economics. Yeah, absolutely. Ivana, thank you uh, for sharing all your experiences and ideas with us today. Um, what you have is truly a remarkable sustainability uh, career and business. So congratulations and good luck for the future. Thank you very much. Thank you to the audience for joining us today. We appreciate your support and hope that uh, you'll listen to some more of our podcasts, which will be coming up in the coming months. Please visit our website. Uh, as I said earlier, it's https colon double forward slash World Sustainability Collective, lowercase all one word, dot com. To follow our activities and tune in to all our Purpose Planet podcasts. Goodbye. <laughs>